You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hi, everyone. Like Adam said, my name is Tatiana, and I am usually at the Birmingham campus leading worship or teaching, but it is always a gift to be here at the CT campus. I've been here a couple times for a midweek, and I love any time I get the chance to lead alongside Davey and Jared and the team. Are they amazing or what? Yeah. They are so awesome, and it's just such a gift to be here in this room and to be led in worship by them. But I am really happy and excited to be here with you all tonight. We are going to be talking about what it looks like for us to see our purpose as the church clearly, both communally and as individuals living out the way of Jesus wherever we go. And as we do, there's a word that God has kept leading me back to as I've been thinking over this last year or so about what it means to live out our purpose as the church and what word might fully capture that. And the word that God has kept leading me back to has been the word sanctuary. The word sanctuary is so interesting because it has religious roots and spiritual connotations to it, but it is also a word that we use in our society to describe any place of refuge or safety. We know that there are bird, marine life, wildlife, and of course, if you know me, it matters a lot that there are cat sanctuaries all over our world. I'm a big cat person. (laughs) Then these sanctuaries are set up to provide peace, safety, to preserve the life and the well-being of these creatures, so they've been deemed animal sanctuaries. So like I said, I'm a big cat person. If there's anything that you need to know about me to feel like you know me a little bit better, it is that I love cats. And it's not like, a oh, she kind of likes cats sort of love. It's like I have been a crazy cat lady since I was a child for as long as I can remember. And I brought a little picture to show you just how true this is. That's me at like five years old maybe pushing my cat in a stroller. And then that's me as a full-grown adult still pushing my cat in a stroller, so not much has changed since I was a kid. It's just mattered so much that I would be a cat sanctuary, honestly. So in other places in our society, also national parks can sometimes be considered sanctuaries because of the protection of the natural habitat that preserves the beauty that we get to enjoy when we go out into these spaces. Pollution is monitored so that we can see the stars clearly. Water is clean and bright and beautiful. They're protected so that invasive plant species don't take over. And these areas of nature are protected and preserved. And because of that are sometimes also referred to as sanctuaries. And when we go to these spaces, aren't they some of the most breathtakingly beautiful spaces in our world? Has anyone here ever been to Michigan's National Park, Isle Royale? One person? That's amazing. It's way out there. I would love to go there. What about one of our national lakeshores, Sleeping Bear Dunes or Pictured Rocks? There we go. That's about all of us. These places are beautiful. They are a little taste of heaven on earth because they are protected. They are sanctuaries to provide this beauty, to protect it. That when we get to go there, we get to stand in awe of God's creation. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that when I'm out there, I see that people take care of it a little bit better. When they drop trash on the floor, they pick it up. They want to keep that space beautiful. We don't treat it like we treat a Walmart parking lot where we just drop our litter and go. These places we want to keep beautiful. 
And then cities, countries, and states, those can also declare sanctuary status when they seek to provide refuge for immigrants and refugees instead of persecution. These places become sanctuaries because they commit to the protection and well-being of a person to keep them safe, at peace, and cared for. So we can see in all these different areas of our world, the word sanctuary, it might have these religious roots and spiritual connotations to it, and what comes to mind for you first might be stained glass or a church building, but over time, this word has been broadened to mean a place of refuge or safety. And I've been wondering if this is what sanctuary was supposed to mean all along, and if this is what the church was supposed to be all along. Because it is so clear that every part of our creation is longing and looking desperately for a place to take sanctuary. Plants, animals, the stars, even people, we look everywhere to find this place of refuge and safety. And this is the purpose that the church is meant to provide. We are meant to be a sanctuary for people to find refuge, care, safety, belonging, not simply in a building, but that we, as the people of God, would be walking, living, breathing sanctuary so that whoever we interact with experiences the love of Jesus through us. So to be a sanctuary as followers of Jesus is to follow the way of Jesus, to make room for others to be included, welcomed, and cared for, and given a place to belong so that they would experience God in a way that leads to life transformation. Because belonging leads to our becoming. When we belong with Jesus, we become like Jesus. So tonight, we're gonna be looking at an interaction between Jesus and his followers when Jesus performed one of his most well-known miracles and how Jesus led his disciples to provide a place of sanctuary for the people around them. And then we're gonna look at how they continue to live out this value after the ascension in the early days of the church and how we see the mark that this day had on them and how they viewed people and how they viewed their purpose. But first, let's talk about who the disciples were and how Jesus welcomed these people. So we know that Matthew and Levi were tax collectors. And tax collectors were understandably disliked for the way that they took advantage of others to make a profit for themselves. Tax collectors in this day were hated. They were despised, rejected, outcast. But Jesus took the time to not only be with them, but even to invite them in to his circle of disciples and give them a place to belong, despite their social standing and their messy behavior. And then on the other end of that spectrum, we also know that a number of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. And they would have likely been similar to a typical blue-collar worker that we might know today, someone hardworking, skilled, everyday people. And then later on, the book of Colossians also mentions that the disciple Luke was a doctor as well. So we have all these different types of backgrounds and life experiences. And we know at the same time that Jesus' following didn't just include the 12 disciples, but that there were many other women who were close friends of Jesus who followed him from town to town and were included and welcomed into his ministry as well. The Gospel of Luke talks about how these women provided for Jesus' ministry out of their own resources. And a few of them were Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, Mary and Martha, but many other unnamed men and women were also included in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus' inclusion of people of diverse backgrounds shows us the beauty and the expansiveness of the kingdom of God that some of them would have been looked over. 
They would have been maybe deemed too ordinary, too disreputable, but Jesus welcomed them anyways. Jesus welcomed them anyways. It's so significant that Jesus didn't go looking for the CEOs of that day who could get him ahead, the people who would be considered the most impressive and extraordinary. He didn't go looking for the Mark Cubans of that day who would help him build a brand and really get his name out there. Instead, Jesus sought out the ordinary people of all backgrounds and all places in society, and he invited them into the kingdom of God. He gave them the authority to do miracles. He taught them the way of his kingdom and what it really looked like to love God and love people. And it's, of course, significant and countercultural as well that Jesus welcomed and included those women in revolutionary ways. Luke says that when Jesus traveled, the 12 were with him, along with certain women and many others, and tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, and the expression sat at the Lord's feet was used to describe the disciple of a Jewish rabbi. These women provided financial support. They were invited to sit under Jesus' teaching, and they were included and treated as equals in ways that they had never been before in that time. Because Jesus' followers were all given the opportunity to contribute to and experience firsthand the kingdom of God. And what these people were given that was such a beautiful gift was close proximity to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. They got to experience God through the revelation of Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. And this is hope, peace, comfort, good news for all people worth sharing and inviting others into. And this concept of close proximity to Jesus is something that we're going to be looking at a lot today in regards to what it means for us to live in this closeness to God, but also to make sure that we as a church are creating spaces and living as people who invite others into that closeness to get to experience and know who Jesus is as well. Because when we belong with Jesus, we become like Jesus. Our belonging is what leads to our becoming what leads to our spiritual formation. So the story that we're gonna be looking at today is a story when Jesus teaches his disciples what it looks like to not only welcome people, but to see people differently, to see the way that he does. In this story, a large crowd comes to see Jesus and they have some physical and spiritual needs that Jesus is caring for and Jesus looks at the crowd quite differently than his disciples do. And rather than rebuking his disciples for their immediate reaction to the needs of the crowd, Jesus invites them in and he teaches them how to see people differently, how to be a sanctuary. So let's jump into the story. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, and this was the news about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So the first thing for us to notice here is how it says Jesus saw the crowd. It says that he saw them and had compassion on them. These people who heard about his arrival, it says that they came on foot from many towns. So who knows how tired their feet were from walking, how thirsty they were from the travel, but they were desperate to see Jesus. And even though Jesus was likely emotionally exhausted from the grief of losing someone he loved and he was wanting to be alone, his compassion for them wasn't simply a feeling. It led him to action because he moved towards them and began to heal their sick. 
Now that is so beautiful. Just think about it. How often do you see someone the way that Jesus saw these people? How often do you see someone sick and in need instead of taking a step back or drawing away, you take a step in and you move towards them? I know that I don't do that very often. Because when I think about Jesus' compassion and how that moved him towards the sick, I think that's pretty unbelievably beautiful. Because in this culture, depending on the sickness, you were considered unclean. You would be avoided and unwelcome by others. But Jesus didn't avoid. He didn't take a step back. He took a step in. He moved towards people. He showed them that they were welcome. And he gave them space to experience the healing power of God. People who likely wouldn't have experienced welcome in another setting. But in the presence of Jesus, they found welcome. They found healing. They found a place where they could take sanctuary. And I think it's powerful, too, to think of those people bringing the sick person that they loved to Jesus. Who came from the many towns probably far away. We're walking all that way with them, maybe even carrying them all that way and thinking every step along the way, maybe this, maybe this is where they're going to find healing. Maybe this is the day that it all changes for them because this is the day they get to meet Jesus. And then the story continues with the disciples' response. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, I think it's interesting here how the disciples came to Jesus with the list of all of the reasons why these people needed to be sent away. And they said it was a remote place. It was getting late. The crowds need to go buy food for themselves. But this is what Jesus says. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Sending them away was not necessary because Jesus was inviting his disciples to see the crowd the way that he did, with compassion leading to action. He invited them to actively participate in this miracle so that rather than sending the people away to deal with their needs on their own, Jesus was instead asking his disciples to move towards the people to take care of their needs so that they didn't have to go away. They could remain instead in the presence of Jesus, continue to learn from him. They could have their spiritual and physical needs taken care of. And this is what that concept of close proximity to Jesus is that we see in this story. It's what we have to consider. What does it look like for us to both live in this closeness to God and make sure at the same time that we are living as people who invite others and make space for others to be in that same closeness to God and to experience and know who Jesus is as well. And we see that Jesus teaches his disciples firsthand what that looks like next. It says, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. What is so beautiful here in this story is how Jesus invites his disciples to shift their perspective through their active participation in this miracle. They got to be the ones actually going out into the crowd, distributing food to the people. And actually, we're gonna do that a little bit tonight. 
I brought some food with me that I'm gonna hand out, and because I don't have miraculous powers to provide what is in this basket to everyone in this room, we're only gonna hand out a little bit. But I have what I would say is the modern equivalent of five loaves of bread and two fish, which you might be thinking literally is still fish and bread, right? Bread and fish back then is bread and fish now. But no, it would be pretty gross to bring fish and let it sit there all day and then hand it to people to eat. So I have Swedish fish for fish, yes. And instead of bread, I have granola bars. And this is my husband, Timmy, right here. And I told him if he sat here, I would hand him Swedish fish. <laughs> Swedish fish or granola bar? Granola bar, good choice. There you go. So imagine for a moment, Jesus' disciples, they're walking into the crowd, and these people that they were once looking at from a distance, they are now face to face. They're looking them in the eyes. They're maybe talking to them. They're seeing the sick person that they loved that they brought to Jesus, and they're getting to hear a little bit of their story. These people that they once saw at a distance, they're now looking at face to face. And I think the thing is when you look at people from a distance instead of up close, you can form opinions about them, assumptions about them. They can become an idea or a concept in your mind rather than a real person who God loves. You get to know a little bit about their story, who they really are. So imagine them for a moment looking these people in the eye, hearing their stories, hearing how far they came to see Jesus. Do you think the disciples' perspectives changed in that moment? Do you think that there were some faces that they saw, some stories they heard that they could never forget? That years later, that face would come to mind for them. And they would remember how Jesus taught them to see differently, how he taught them to love them the way that he did. So really picture this for a minute. 5,000 plus people spiritually, physically needy, sick. They all gathered and came from a long journey. They're hungry and tired. And one by one, the disciples are going out into the crowd. They're looking in the eyes. They're handing them food. Do you think they saw them differently in that moment? Do you think they saw their humanity, the image of God in them, the gratitude in their eyes when they realized that they were actually gonna be fed and they could stay in the presence of Jesus a little while longer? Don't you think that these encounters with these people changed the disciples after that day? Don't you think it changed how they saw anybody, any person, any child of God from that day forward? Because not only did these people get to remain in close proximity to Jesus, but Jesus challenged his disciples to live in close proximity to the people that he loved. And this is living out the way of Jesus. This is the way of his kingdom. My friend and pastor and author John Ortberg said that this is bringing up there down here, bringing the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus to earth and living it out wherever we go. So in this act, Jesus invited his disciples to see people the way he did, with compassion leading to action. Because rather than sending people away to just deal with their needs on their own, they instead moved towards them to take care of them to make sure that they didn't have to go away, but they could remain in the presence of Jesus a little while longer. They could keep learning from him, keep experiencing his healing power. Because when we are given a place to belong, we become. 
when we belong with Jesus, we become more and more like Jesus. But we see at first that the disciples' focus was on the lack, that they only had five loaves of bread and two fish. And I wonder if they were even thinking that that would have been enough food for the 12 or so of them, but to give it to other people, to extend anything beyond that would have meant none or less for them. And that's a natural feeling to have. We all have that. We all want our physical, our spiritual, our emotional needs to be taken care of. And then I wonder if it even felt like there wasn't enough of Jesus to go around. But the way that Jesus shifts their perspectives and invites them to see differently through this miracle is so significant. Because he demonstrates in the speeding of 5,000 plus people that the generosity that we have received from God is meant to lead us to be generous to others in every way with our food, with our time, with our resources, with our love and patience and compassion, because freely we have received from God. Now we freely give. We can also see here that at first the crowds were welcomed by the disciples to an extent. There was a limit to their welcome, and that limit was when the disciples' needs were put in jeopardy. So their natural reaction was to send them away so they could deal with their problems on their own. But there is no limit. There is no limit to how Jesus has welcomed us. He's never once sent us away when we were in need. When we needed refuge, a safe place, a sanctuary. And now he is teaching us how to do that for others. Because freely we've received from him. Now we freely give. Now the crowds and Jesus' followers were given a sanctuary in this moment. They were given a place of safety. Belonging, provision, refuge from their struggles, healing, and most of all, that proximity to Jesus that led to their transformation. Because of the way this miracle provided for their physical needs, they were able to remain in that closeness to Jesus, not having to be sent away on their own to get food. And then later on in the book of Acts, we can see how differently the disciples approached the needs of others since that day, rather than seeing them as a problem. You know, they welcomed people into their homes. In the book of Acts, it says that there were no needy persons among them. They ate together. They gave up what they had in order to give to those in need. And God blessed their community. In the early days of the church, the name that was given to people in the Jesus community was followers of the way. Because they lived their lives the way that Jesus did. And in this, I can't help but see the mark that this day had on them in the early church as they followed the way Jesus modeled for them in this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Because instead of holding on tightly to their possessions and making sure that their needs were taken care of first, or even keeping their group closed off, the disciples became open-handed. They became generous, welcoming. They were radically inclusive. Their proximity to Jesus led to them becoming like Jesus. They noticed and saw the needs of people and responded with compassion and generosity. They became living, breathing sanctuaries for others the way that Jesus was for them. You know, I think there are a lot of places in our world that have been intended to be sanctuaries that sadly end up being broken in some way and then can even lose their sanctuary status. 
Some animal sanctuaries have ended up being more about profit than being a true place of refuge for wildlife, and sometimes animals even end up being mistreated in these settings. And then in sanctuary cities, refugees can still be met with bigotry or hatred, struggle to get their needs met, struggle to just adjust to life in a new place. And then sadly, sometimes the church too has struggled to be a true place that people can take sanctuary by making this community more about thinking the right things, believing the right things, behaving the right way, and then, then you can be welcomed rather than taking a journey with people towards Jesus. It's like the disciples on that day. Sometimes those of us on the inside are more focused on our needs being met and unintentionally or sadly, sometimes even intentionally, we end up sending people away from experiencing close proximity to Jesus in this space and in our lives. We forget the importance of belonging on the journey to becoming more and more like Jesus. And this journey to becoming is one that every one of us in this room is on. Like Jesus modeled close proximity with the people present at this miracle, it is in being in relationship and close proximity with people with different lived experiences than we have, different stories than we have that change our perspective and enable us to love others better and create a place that would truly be a refuge for them both in a building here and in relationship with them outside of this building. Now I wanna tell you a story about my first boss ever he was a man named Burl Banks, and I think we have a photo of him to share with you tonight so you can see his sweet, smiling face. Now, when I am asked how I got into ministry, I say that Burl, oh, I'm not gonna cry about this, that Burl is the reason I'm in ministry today. And that's because when I was 19 years old, Burl advocated to hire me as a worship pastor at a church. And I don't know about you, but I would not hire myself at 19. Would you hire yourself at 19 or just a 19-year-old? <laughs> well, Burl believed in me, and he believed deeply in raising up the next generation of leaders in the church, so he created a place of sanctuary for me, and he poured into me and really helped me grow. He was patient with me, he was gentle with me as I made a ton of mistakes, like 19 year olds do, we make a ton of mistakes, and he helped me grow as a leader and a pastor. But what I'm most thankful for about Burl though is the way that my friendship with him expanded my worldview and grew my compassion. Now Burl was very open with me and the rest of our staff about the racism that he experienced his whole life as a black man and sadly even the racism that he was still experiencing to that day in the church. And hearing his stories and experiences was shocking to me. I heard things that I just wished weren't true. They challenged me, they made me feel really uncomfortable to accept that this was a reality in his life because I just didn't wanna believe that these kinds of experiences, that this kind of racism still happened to people. But he shared how hurtful it was when well-meaning people in his life claimed that they were colorblind because it meant that they also were refusing to see or acknowledge the painful parts of his experience as a black man in this world. He often lamented how when he would open up about this pain that he experienced, he would be met with people minimizing it rather than simply sitting with him in it and hearing him and just believing that he was hurt. 
And I realized in the ex experience, because of my close proximity to him, because of my friendship with him, that to be a sanctuary for people of color meant that I needed to listen with the intent to understand and learn from their lived experiences of racism, prejudice, and simply be with them in their hurt. The Bible says that we weep with those who weep, and that is what God was inviting me into. And then almost a year ago, another friend of my husband, Timmy, and I's uh, sat us down and told us about their diagnosis with autism. And they got this diagnosis late in life in their mid-30s, and to be diagnosed with autism that late in life has been a lot for him to process. In one sense, it's given reason and language for things that he's dealt with his whole life, but at the same time, he's now realized how much energy his whole life has gone into masking and denying what he needs to feel safe, comfortable, and accommodated for. And he shared with us how he's realized that autism isn't a disease, an illness, or a disorder, but just a way that his brain is wired differently. But because of that and how our society and even our churches are not built for neurodivergent people like him, he feels broken. He feels broken because of how hard he has to work to fit into normal life. And this guy is one of Timmy and I's very best friends. We love him. We love him so much and we want to do everything we can to be a sanctuary for him. That we make it as comfortable as possible for him to spend time with us that we accommodate to and are mindful of what he needs to feel safe and comfortable. That if there are two people in this world that he doesn't need to mask for, which is a term for autistic folks trying to cover up their autism to fit in a little better, I want us to be the people he can let his mask down with. So whoever God has put in your life with a different lived experience than you, I wonder how God might be calling you to learn how to be a sanctuary for them. And in doing so, to create space for them to experience closeness to Jesus through the love and welcome that you show them. Because when we belong, we become. Belonging with Jesus leads to becoming like Jesus. And when we do this for people, we do this for Jesus. Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is just like it, to love our neighbor. So to love God is to love our neighbor, and to love our neighbor is to express our love for God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. When was it that we saw we have to ask ourselves that. Because when we see others, see them the way Jesus saw the crowds that day with compassion and move towards them the way Jesus did with action, it is like we are caring for Jesus himself. And this is how we see our purpose as a church most clearly. When we learn to see the way Jesus sees, because to love others is to love God, to love God's people, God's children is to love God. To see the Imago Dei and inherent worth in others is to see God clearly. 
to make space where people are welcome in our homes, in our lives, in our church, is making Jesus welcome too. So tonight, maybe you need to know that you are seen here. You are welcome here. Maybe you need to know that this church and this community can be a sanctuary for who you are. Whatever it is that you're carrying, wherever you are at in your faith journey, regardless of if or what you believe and what you are figuring out, this church can be a place of refuge for you. Because God is calling each one of us to go out into this world with his eyes for people, eyes that see with compassion that leads to action. And Jesus is inviting us to do what his disciples did, passing out food that day, to be in close proximity and relationship with people, the people that he loves, and then invite them in return to be in close proximity with a God who loves them so much. So I also wanna encourage you to consider who is Jesus asking you to see? Who is someone in your life with a different lived experience than you have that you can listen to? that you can seek to understand their story and treat them with compassion and kindness and be a place of comfort and safety for them. Maybe that looks like you have a friend with chronic pain or illness and you need to be that person that they can vent to when they have a hard health day. Or maybe you have a friend with a physical disability and God is inviting you to consider how you can help make the world more accessible for them and understand what they need to feel independent and capable and loved. Maybe your next step looks like talking to a friend with a different background than you, who's born and raised in a different country and just ask them questions and learn about what that was like for them. Maybe it looks like providing a place of sanctuary for someone experiencing abuse, opening up your home and inviting them in and taking care of them. Perhaps this looks like you considering what needs of yours that you have been holding on to that would prevent people from experiencing close proximity to Jesus is, just like the disciples had to consider that day. Whatever this looks like for you to begin seeing your purpose as the church clearly, being a sanctuary that enables people to experience closeness to Jesus through your love and your welcome, I'm sure that there's been a person who has come to mind for you and there's a reason that that name has been standing out to you. So talk to God about this person. Talk to God about this community. Ask him how he would have you be a person of welcome, how he would have you be a part of making this a place of welcome, how you can lead other people towards the person of Jesus. So as we close, I wanna invite us to pray one of my favorite prayers known as the prayer of St. Francis because I think this prayer captures so beautifully what it means for us to be sanctuaries of God's love. And maybe you wanna close your eyes and receive this and see if a certain word or phrase stands out to you. Maybe you wanna read it on the screen or maybe even say it out loud. Do whatever you need to to pray this, to talk to God about this. So let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. 
and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.